The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wabner, live from Post 9, right here at the New York Stock Exchange. This make-or-break hour begins with the rally in stocks and whether the setup for the second half is now in your favor. Vantage Rocks, Avery uh, Sheffield uh, is here with that answer in just a moment. First, here's your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation. A nice, broad move today. Industrials, discretionary materials, and tech all contributing. More good news uh, on key parts of the economy, no doubt helping today. New home sales rising at the fastest pace in a year and consumer confidence blowing away expectations. It leads us to our talk of the tape. The momentum as we make the turn. Is there enough of it to keep the bulls charging ahead? Let's ask Avery Sheffield, the co-founder, CIO and senior portfolio manager of Vantage Rock right here with me at Post 9. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Great to be here. So how do you answer that question? Is there enough momentum in what's been yes. a, for many, surprising first half right. as we make this turn? Yes, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, so from a fundamental standpoint, I think the economy, what we see is we are seeing inflation kind of slowing, moderating, even rolling over, even going negative in some categories, which should be, which is potentially good um, as a tailwind for consumers. Great. Yes, it's great. <laughs> right? It's great. It's not necessarily good for companies that are experiencing the pressures of that inflation, right? But that, so that is like one dynamic that's a net positive. As long as the market continues to go up, that's a net positive. Um, and then you, on the other hand, and jobs are still pretty strong. Yeah. On the other hand, you have rising credit card debt, rising interest costs. Right, creating some pressure. And so I think it's still like a tough call um, I, of what is going to happen moving forward. And so from a stock perspective, what we're focused on is where is there just too much negativity priced in on the long side and where are expectations very optimistic with high valuations in companies that maybe are going to have more issues? Because I think it's a really tough call. It feels to me like to be a little weak. But if the market keeps going, that'll be a nice tailwind. And then also, sorry, you're going to have the student loan debt come do right, in September, September right? which is kind of feels like forever from now, but that's actually quite meaningful, $100 billion, you know, 2% of retail sales. If somebody said, I mean, do, do you think the risk reward is better now than it was, would you, would say, you say, it's yes? Worse. It's worse? say it's worse? Well, I'd say it's worse for the market as a whole, because right? We, because we've, we've rallied a lot? Yes. I mean, just valuations are too high. I mean, I kind of concur with like Mike Wilson here and that it's like it matters what you pay, right? I mean, he's calling for a bearish call, kind of more well, economic. He's been bearish. He's been bearish, but he's continuing to be bearish, right? And he's continuing to be bearish, especially at the levels that we're at. But he's saying, well, maybe we'll have the mark. The market could be strong next year from a very different level. So it these levels look high. Can they keep running? Yes. Is this could this be 2006, 2007? You see issues down, but that they're far enough down the road that we just forget it. We certainly could, but I feel like it's just safer to buy names that have more negativity priced in. So the run that we've seen in tech. Yes. What do you what do you make of it? Does it does it make sense to you? It, so, you think it has legs to go further? Right. So I think, look, the a AI is clearly driving demand for NVIDIA's chips and, and some related other components. Um, it, certainly Microsoft's in a great place related to that. But 
you know, outside of, of the build out, everyone's trying to figure out like what's the business model going to be. So there is going to be a decent amount of investment spending there. But which companies benefit, how many benefit versus how many are disintermediated by new, cheaper startups, like putting together really easy to use AI applications. I think it's really unclear. So I think it's it's. Um, I, th- I think it's risky to be buying names that have a lot of AI hype in them that don't have a business model behind them. Outside of that, we, what we've seen is tech spending is actually very much related to net income. And, and that determines your CapEx budget for the next year. Net incomes of companies are like, okay, but like someone under pressure because of the inflationary dynamics we've seen. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that can crowd out other technology spending. So I think you really have to be careful in where you pick your spots. That's funny. I mean, it, when you, you say all that and I look at the sheet and you like Intel. Right, you like exactly. Intel. Come on. I mean, I mean, aren't they being displaced by NVIDIA? Yes, exactly. I, I justify it, though. I, yes, I want to hear your yes. explanation. Right. So, I mean, so we always like to find, you know, we always like are interested in like where people just overly negative and there's and things won't be as bad as people anticipate. And there are company specific idiosyncratic factors that can 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 turn things around. So for Intel in particular, right, one of the largest semiconductor manufacturing companies in the world, it's really lagged a TSMC on the on the foundry, on the the manufacturing side and AMD, NVIDIA and others on on the design side. I mean, basically really not doing well on either side. But what we have here is is really, I, I think, the beginning stages of a turnaround underway. Patrick Gelsinger, who had been the company for over 30 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. left for via EMC and VMware for 11 years, very well run. Michael Dell being involved in those companies knows how to run a really good business, um, came back, you know, just in the past couple of years to, to really create just much more discipline and efficiency. This is an execution-driven business. He's separating the P&Ls between Foundry and Logic and creating more accountability. Analysts are very skeptical about whether this can be successful, but you are starting to see some early signs of success um, in, in, in designs getting better. In, he's identified a $10 billion of cost. He's going to take out the next two years, $3 mm-hmm. billion this year. They're investing $60 billion with help of governments in new um, semiconductor manufacturing facilities here in the U.S. and Germany um, uh, in Europe. And so they, there's just there's a lot that could go right in evaluation on normalized earnings that's half of TSMC, a third of AMD. So if they execute, there's a lot of upside. It's interesting to me to hear somebody who is generally cautious, if not skewed negative for this, the second half, right? You think the economy is going to continue to get a little worse. But... You like select retailers, you like airlines, autos, chip manufacturers, regional banks, office REITs. <laughs> yes. How does how do we square this? Well, I mean, one thing I like to point out is, you know, everyone's been talking about the home builders and what great stocks they are. Like a year ago, we were all talking about how Armageddon was coming to the housing market, right? And the reality is, is the home builders earnings are down 30% from last year, but they're down nowhere near as much as was priced in, so the stocks have nearly doubled. So I think we're at this point where technology stocks are given a pass on like they're going to be completely um, uh, unaffected by any kind of cyclical downturn, whereas these stocks are just pricing in far too negative of an outcome. And also, like one thing I would, so they're pricing in far too negative of an outcome. I wouldn't buy every company in these sectors. I wouldn't buy an ETF for these sectors necessarily. Okay. But you can, because the whole sector has been pulled down, you you can find companies that have 
company-specific dynamics that are very positive. Like, like regional banks. If yes. You, if you buy select regional yes. banks, do you want to name names? Right. I don't know that I want to name names, but I, but I will tell you what you look for. What you look for is banks that have very strong credit. So banks that have um, very high um, uh, uh, interest coverage ratios. So the, 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 the people they lend to can withstand higher interest rates. So they can price up to handle the higher cost of deposits. They can price their loans higher and still make a margin. You also want to look at banks that are really focused on cap on efficiency, right? They've got to drive down their costs. So you have multiple regional banks. You have some regional banks that are trading at like COVID levels, not about to like go under, that have the, the ability to price up their loans, I, we think, and cut costs enough to offset the deposit, the increased deposit pressure. And then, by the way, if at some point we start to lower rates and the yield curve starts to steepen, they, they have potential to be home runs. You know, when we talk office rates, I noticed earlier, I think SL Green is up like 30 percent in a, in a month. Yes. I mean, th that is telling an interesting story from a stock standpoint, even as there is broad concern about yes. what's going to eventually happen there. Yes. I think it's very interesting because what happened yesterday is that they announced a, um, a Japanese investor has come in to buy a property at 46 in Park. Um, and the current return is about 3 percent. The return full utilized about 5%. Well, why would someone do that when treasuries here in the U.S. are like 5%? They want to lock in a 10-year return. And interest rates in Japan are still dramatically lower than in the U.S. And the Japanese are looking around the world of like, where's there an asset that we can buy that's going to get a good return? And I think one thing that people... I, I'm just I, are forgetting is that we are, I think, in the early stages of seeing a return to work. We're seeing most of the major banks. We're seeing major in, in our industry firms like Citadel just demanding that people come in, by the way, if the office is in that area, um, five days a week. And so I think we are going to see a return to office. And anecdotally, I've also been hearing about um, companies like people in companies really like fighting to get the best office space to retain their workers. And so I think that dynamic is very underappreciated. Now, by the way, I wouldn't be buying Class C office space. I think it's very similar to what you saw in the mall reads. The best the best malls have been able to increase rents, have been in a good position. And what we're seeing is that not just the, the Japanese are coming in because they're seeing favorable dynamics. There was just an article actually in um, Bloomberg had overnight in London that HSBC is moving out of Canary Wharf into more central regions, taking half the space, but at 50 percent higher rents because having those in-demand locations is important for workers. That, you know, that the company that we're talking about is all centered around Grand Central. Most of the properties are very high quality. Mm -hmm. So they could have pricing power while others in more peripheral areas could actually be in a lot of trouble. Interesting. Let's expand the conversation, bring in somebody who has been unwavering in his positivity about this market. Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research just came out with a new note this afternoon. So, Ed, thank you so much for calling in. I'm quoting from sure. your note for people who are, who are uh, watching us. The PERMA sure. bears will have to postpone their imminent recession yet again. Based on today's batch of U.S. economic indicators, our rolling recession is turning into a rolling expansion. Explain. Well, you know, there's been a big debate, as you well know, uh, about when a recession is coming. And I've been arguing for a while here that we're actually in a recession. It's just a rolling recession hitting different industries at different times. And so we certainly got hit with a housing recession. And now uh, we also got hit with a consumer recession, but both of those look like they're reversing. So you think the second half looks pretty good for the market? I mean, what is your general outlook for where you think the S&P can go? 
Well, uh, Scott, as you know, I, I've been. Uh, I, I, I argue that the October 12th low was the low back in late October, and so we've had a heck of a move here. And uh, my my target's still 4,600 by by year end, and I hope we don't get there in the next few weeks. The way this uh, market's going, I, I don't really want to. I'm not rooting for a melt up here. I, I wouldn't mind a a bit of a correction to something like 4,200. I mean, that wouldn't be. Uh, the 10% uh, official correction, but I, I think the market needs to have some breather here. But it certainly looks as though the fundamentals are great, the technicals not so much, and the valuation not so much. Yeah, I've got Avery Sheffield uh, with me, Ed, who I want to get in and, and opine on on your perspective. What, what do you what do you think about what he said? So with housing, we just discussed, right? Housing is in a recession. Prices are down year over year. But we've gotten to a point, at least in, in new home construction, that the builders are expanding. And they're, they're finding that prices are stable to maybe they can raise a little bit from here. That is down year over year. But we've kind of found a stable place where maybe things can improve a bit. We'll see what happens when student loan debt starts coming due. Does that affect down payments? So kind of unclear call. But, but inventory is very constrained. So might be might continue to improve from here. And the builders in particular could potentially make it up on volume. About 4,600. Does that sound possible to you? You look look skeptical. I mean, it's like everything's possible, right? I I think certainly if the the animal spirits continue, yes, but does it make sense long term? Like, would you, if you buy and hold that for the next... 10 years, I wouldn't. Um, so, 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 Ed, I mean, how do you counter the, the, the thought that Avery mm-hmm. put forth a little while ago and, and others do, too, that the market's just too expensive? Well, like, it's, it's been multiple I, expansion yeah. based on multiple expansion. Right. right. I'm not telling anybody this market's uh, dirt cheap and a, a screaming buy from the valuation perspective, but I think from a fundamental perspective, the outlook is really quite good. As, as you know, uh, during uh, all the uh, pessimism we've had here, I said, you know, we're we're going to come out of this. We're probably not going to have an economy-wide recession. And once we start to see more signs of a, an economy-wide expansion, I think we're going to see something like the roaring 2020s, where technological innovations lead to increases in productivity. Another point I've been making recently is, you know, the 75 million baby boomers born uh, between 1946 and 1964, uh, they're now in their late 50s and uh, into their uh, uh, mid mid seventies, and they they have collectively seventy five trillion dollars in net worth, assets minus liabilities, seventy five trillion dollars. Uh, they're going to spend a lot of that, and they're going to pass a lot of that onto their uh, uh, kids. Mm. So, does the forty six hundred? Does the Fed matter at all to you? I mean. There are projections that they're going to go, like Morgan Stanley today, adding a July hike. Others expect that they may go in July, and they may go after that as well. Do do you care for your projection or not? Well, I I, I do care, and I I, I think the the key issue is inflation. And as I pointed out in my note this morning, the news that we've gotten from the regional uh, surveys conducted by the Federal Reserve Banks. Five of them do business surveys, and they're their most up-to-date indicators are through June. And we continue to see prices paid and prices received really dropping sharply in a way that suggests that we're going to uh, have a really surprising drop in consumer prices. And I think that surprise is going to be led by something that's not going to be all that surprising, and that is rent inflation has been a laggard, and it's going to come down a lot. And meanwhile, goods inflation, certainly according to the business 
surveys suggest suggest that that goods inflation is coming down as well, pretty, mm-hmm. and, and will stay down. So, Ed, what do you what do you make of Avery's suggestion that there is good opportunity in selective? whether it's airlines, autos, regional banks, office REITs. I mean, some areas yeah. that no one wants to touch, you know. Well, let's, 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 yeah. let's think about what the, the baby boomers are doing. A lot of my friends are retiring. Uh, I, I, I don't play golf, so I don't know what I would do with myself, so I'm going to keep working. But my retiring baby boom friends, they're going out to restaurants almost on a daily basis. They're going on uh, trips. They're going on cruises. Uh, so that certainly phrase continues to favor the cruise lines, uh, the, the, the airlines, uh, the healthcare area. It's obviously going to continue to boom as the baby boomers get older. And that's all creating a lot of jobs. And so it's all kind of feeding on itself, the demographics, uh, particularly the, uh, the baby boom demographics, I think, is something that the, the, the pessimists haven't really f- factored into their thinking. Mm-hmm. Ed, I appreciate it. I'm going to let you run. I know you're on vacay, and I'm grateful for you taking the time to, to phone into this conversation, talk sure. about that note that uh, certainly got us talking today. Ed Yardeni. So I'll, I'll leave it for lastly with you, uh, Avery. The most underappreciated area right now in the market is, is what, would you say? You know, uh, a, a, yes. around what? Does it, maybe it's not even equities. I, I, I don't know. You've had a lot of competition elsewhere. Yes. yes. There are some yes. who suggest that it still exists. Right, and that's right. one of the headwinds for stocks potentially into the second half. But there still are other opportunities that present good reward with less risk. Right. Well, I mean, private credit, I mean, certain areas in credit look to be very compelling and interesting. So, yes, I, 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 I concur. Um, the rates you can get for, for lending to very stable companies are, are quite compelling. Um, and then in the equity markets, I mean, I would say probably like regional banks and office REITs would be like two of the most hated that where you're, you could you could see real surprises, especially if Ed's you know, forecast comes to fruition. We shall see. And we'll talk to you again soon. Avery, yes. thank you. That's Avery Sheffield joining us of Vantage Rock today. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know, has the risk reward improved for stocks? You can head to at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. Vote yes or no. The results later on in the hour. Let's now get a check on some top stocks to watch as we head into the close with Christina Partsinevelos. Hi. Hi, Scott. Well, Delta is at its highest level in over a year after hiking its Q2 guidance and projecting full year earnings per share at the high end of its previous range. CEO Ed Bastian tells CNBC that demand is, quote, off the chain, and Delta is still seeing customers pay for more expensive seats. That optimism is giving a boost to rivals as well, including JetBlue, United, and American. You can see they're all about 5% or more higher on your screen right now. And let's switch gears and talk about Walgreens right now. It's having its worst day since 2020 after its first earnings miss in three years. The pharmacy chain also lowering its full year guidance as it sees lower demand for COVID services and margin pressures related to a lighter respiratory season, which is good news for us. Obviously, bad news for the stock, which is down over nine and a half percent. Yeah, tough day for WBA. Christina, thank you. We'll see you in just a bit. Christina Partsinevelos, we're just getting started. Up next, searching for opportunity. John Spallanzani of the Miller Family Office is breaking out his second half playbook. He'll tell us where he's seeing some strength now after the break. And later, cruise line sailing higher today, reversing course in a major way. Take a look at those gains. Carnival's up 7, almost 8%. We'll tell you what's behind the reversal. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Dow's good for 233. Back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back. We have a developing story in the M&A space. The FTC and DOJ proposing changes to some of the required pre-merger paperwork. It could have a major impact when and how deals get done. Leslie Picker, following the money, as always, joins us on the phone with more. A, a high hurdle already turning, it sounds, into a, a pole vault, if you will. Yeah, that's exactly right, Scott. And you bring up a good point. It, it is. It does have to do with filing paperwork, a lot of technical aspects to these changes here. But the overall so what to this story is what it means for deal activity, which, as you mentioned, has already been chilled over the last year or two. So what this involves is the heart Scott Rodino form, the HSR form. This essentially is what agencies require merging parties to fill out their intent to merge. It describes all sorts of competitive aspects of what the merger would entail and what it means for the industry itself. If it's a horizontal merger, vertical merger, they look at, you know, revenue overlap, things of that nature. Well, they're looking at overhauling. This is the FTC and DOJ. They're looking at overhauling this um, in a way that could potentially be more onerous for parties looking to merge. Analysts say it could increase the number of hours required, um, you know, to fill out these forms. It could delay the process by months. Um, although in its uh, press release today, the FTC and DOJ says that it would allow for a more effective and efficient merger review. It also addresses some congressional concerns that subsidies from foreign entities of concern, these are countries that are seen as less friendly with the U.S., that mm-hmm. subsidies of that nature could also impact the competitiveness of certain deals behind the scenes that aren't previously accounted for. Now, this is a notice that will be published later uh, this week, and comments are due in about 60 days, Scott. So it's not official, it's a proposal. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. Uh, And the other beat you cover, of course, the banks. I can already hear the head of, you know, the heads of capital markets for the biggest banks on Wall Street throwing their shoes against the wall, saying, you know, what what more could, could stand in the way of a pickup in capital markets business? You're exactly right. Obviously, the banking activity fees that they generate from these types of deals is is critical. And it's been dormant for a very long time at this point. They're looking for anything that could warm the the chilling that they've seen so far in deal activity. This certainly doesn't help at all. But one of the main reasons that bankers tell me there's been such a chill is there's been so much uncertainty in the regulatory environment. They're not sure how much appetite regulators have for doing these deals. We've seen a lot of deals struck down, and that's created more of a chill. So it could be that maybe once this gets up and running, once people see kind of how it works in the timeline and, and how it all happens, that could maybe 
unleash some of the pent up demand for deals. But in the meantime, it's definitely kind of more of the same in terms of uncertainty. All right. I appreciate you calling in with this news, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie Picker. As we move on, the S&P already up 14% so far this year, but billionaire value investor Seth Klarman says the environment for stock picking opportunities has been improving. Here he is on Squawk Box this morning. This environment feels like a four in terms of opportunity. With, with the um, 10 being the best? 10 being the best. It's nowhere near, um, uh, you know, nine or 10, but it's better than it was. You had such extended valuations, such little downside volatility, really for the last decade or more. But the, the nature of opportunity that we see on a bottom-up basis is better than it was, but still not at, at peak. All right, so let's bring in John Spallanzani of the Miller Family Office. Welcome. It's good to see you. Thank you. A four out of ten, according to Klarman. What do you think? Does that sound right to you? I don't know, but he also said there hasn't been a lot of volatility on the downside, which obviously we had a global pandemic. I was on the floor when the VIX was 80, so there has been a lot of volatility. What's the VIX now, like 14? Yeah, it's 14, exactly. So, yeah, I think, you know, in, in his mind, that's... That's probably what he thinks. But what do you but, think? I mean, in terms of in terms of the environment, is it a four out of ten, or is, has it improved to the point where it's gotten over the mid hump? And let's say it's a six or seven now, as some people are trying to suggest. I think most of the people you have on are still quite bearish. They don't believe in the digital renaissance. They don't believe in this tech revolution that we're seeing. They believe the market is overvalued. Uh, they believe in a lot of things that are kind of still bearish. So in terms of that, you know, we, there's, there's, that's been going on for 10 years. Are you taking the other so, side of that so, Yeah, I would take the other side. Of course, I think I'm in the, I'm in the Dan Ives and Ed Yordani camp of, uh, oh, of what's going to happen. Oh, all so all I'm, yeah, that's, right. that's my new nickname for oh, you, then. All in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, come on, uh, Dan, Ives says, Dan Ives says 15 to 20 percent well, more Tom in, in mega cap tech, right? Yeah. Tom Lee's bullish. Tom you Lee's heard your Denny, yeah. 4,600. Yeah. But there's only a, there's five, five guys, <laughs> right? And you just named all of them, basically. And the rest are still kind of bearish because they said the market's overvalued. There's, there's a lot of things. We don't know if, when the correction is going to be, when the recession is going to come. Again, they've been saying recession now for 12 to 18 months that we're going to have a recession. This is the most predicted recession that we haven't had in the longest period of time. So that's really the other side of the story, that every time we say recession, you know, it doesn't come. So that leads us to believe, well, maybe you know, maybe Kathy Wood could be right, right? Are we looking at the wrong indicators? You know, is she, you know, she might be picking up zettabytes and, you know, we're going from this big data creation that really is not factored into the ISM and other things, the global efficiency that ChatGPT and all these other uh, internet of things, 5G was supposed to be a 5X move in terms of productivity. That, nobody's even talking about 5G anymore. That's going to be a huge thing, roll out as we go towards 2030. Now we have chat uh, GBT. That's another huge uh, productivity and efficiency gainer, not to mention the fact that it's disinflationary because you're going to have a lot more people uh, doing a lot less and you're going to have a lot more productivity. So we have factories retooling. We have all kinds of things that are going on mm -hmm. that really we're not actually seeing picked we're, up in the data. We're shuffling through here as you talk, a mega cap tech. Mega right? cap Which tech, yeah. been the, the story of the year yep. thus far. People here, Miller, they think of Amazon and mega cap names. You still think that, that, room, that, that th those stocks have a lot more room to go? I mean, you mentioned Ives, as I said. Dan yeah. Ives was here yesterday, if not yeah. the, the day before. It suggested 12 to 15% more yeah. this year. I mean, 
this year, yes, possibly. But over the next 10 years, you know, we don't know what the, the sky is the limit, right? Because what you're seeing now is that this big technical technological revolution that we're having is going to affect everything. And we don't there's going to be massive winners and massive losers. Losers. A lot of the stocks that you just mentioned were the biggest losers last year. So not only were they short, nobody was expecting the news to change in such a favorable way. So we had, you know, we went from the four T's being, you know, technology, trillions, uh, tech, tax, tax policy and innovation, right, to the, to the three B's this year, which basically Bitcoin is the best performer. We have uh, big tech and also those big tech companies have had the strongest balance sheets. And that's where people went to hide when we had the blow up in Silicon Valley Bank. They so, all went to this, the high liquidity stocks with big balance sheets. And that's what we've seen. We've seen the small caps and the mid caps basically flat on the year because they actually were expecting a recession over a year ago that never appeared. So let me ask you this. If yep. Miller family used to be Miller value. Where's yep. the value? Where's the great value in the market as we make the turn to the back nine of the well, year? Well, I think right now we see the uh, obviously the queues are up. 30% and we saw the mid and small caps were flat. So you got to sharpen your pencil and you really have to dig deep into that category where, you know, if you want to go between 500 million and 5 billion, or if you want to take it up to 10 billion, there's a lot of stuff that's been thrown out with the bad, you know, you baby think, with the you bad th boy. And you think too and much I think, so? Yes, I think too much so. And not only do I think too much so, but that's going to be the catch-up trade probably to the end of the year. Already the last week we saw, you know, small and mid caps rallied about 500 basis points because there's guys who expect exploit the relative value trade. So there's trillions of dollars, obviously, in the market. And when they see queues up 30% and mid and small flat on the year, mm. you know, they're going to try to close that gap. And right now, it's beginning to close. So the other thing I want to talk to you about. And that's Fed dependent, obviously. The other thing I want to talk to you about is, is Bitcoin. You mentioned crypto. Um, I mentioned Amazon, sort of synonymous with you guys. Bitcoin has become yep. that way as well. And we played the clip of Klarman on Squawk Box yeah. this morning saying what he did. I want you to listen to what he said about Bitcoin. Let's yep. listen. There are hundreds, maybe a thousand different cryptocurrencies. And you don't have a thousand paper currencies in your wallet, and I don't either. I have one, and I'm sure you do too. And so I worry that it's a seductive idea. It, it, I called it once catnip for techies that it's exciting, and you can imagine that you're getting on the ground floor of technological gold. But I, I'm a skeptic, but I would never say nothing, you know, something can't happen. That's a fair assessment, isn't yeah. it? Yep. Yeah, we see the Bank of England just came out, and they say well, they want to have the, uh, the uh, Britain coin, right? There's a lot of central banks that would like to have more control over their currency, the digital dollar, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, basically, Bill's Bill's premise has been, since the paper was uh, submitted to the Santa Fe Institute, which is his think tank, about 2014, and uh, he liked the technology, the Bitcoin itself, obviously it was a lot cheaper then, and he really viewed it as a, as a cool technology, something that could be a disruptor. Obviously, he thought Amazon was a disruptor, and Jeff Bezos was a disruptor, when nobody believed that in 2000, and that seemed to work out. So he liked the technology, he liked what it, what it presented. I mean, the use case, if you want to, if you want to play that, card of it. I mean, I could see a greater use case for an Amazon than some would suggest exists for Bitcoin or any number of the other, as Klarman says, not a hundred, a hundred coins or, or, or what have you. But remember that 
The use case, you know, for Bitcoin is the fact that it's the use case is as, as an insurance policy when all things kind of go bad. And we're not just talking domestically. As more and more people get connected to the internet, get connected to banking, there's going to be a need for something like a Bitcoin or something like that, where, you know, people can't confiscate your money. We just saw the Russian coup. There was rumors that people in Russia were buying, you know. Bitcoin, whether they're doing legally, illegally, we see there's always a flight to safety and it's a lot easier to have Bitcoin on your phone that's something that's on a ledger that everybody could see that's transparent and that nobody's going to take from you rather than having, you know, pesos or doll or Argentine dollars or, or Bolivian velars. Uh, enjoyed the conversation very much. Always Thank you nice for being to here. Have, yeah. yeah, nice to be here. John Spallanzani here with us uh, at Post 9. Up next. The market's next move. Top technician Jeff DeGraff is charting out where he sees stocks heading from here. If he thinks the big tech rally can really last, it's after the break. Closing bell right back. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. A nice move today. Stocks are higher across the board. NASDAQ closing in on its best first half in some 40 years. So has the outlook gotten more favorable as we get set to enter the second half of the year? Let's ask Jeff DeGraff. He's the chairman and head of technical research at Renaissance Macro. Jeff, welcome. It's nice to see you. Thank you, Scott. I've, I've gotten many fundamental takes today, obviously. So let's go technical. How, how do they look? Well, if you're a trend follower, I think they look pretty good. Um, you know, our trend work turned positive at the end of January. It stayed resolute um, throughout that time, even with the Silicon Valley bank crisis. Oversold conditions have been met with buyers, which is exactly what you want to see. We're sequencing the series of higher highs and higher lows. Uh, I wouldn't call it a momentum market. Maybe we're starting to shift to that a little bit, but certainly it's a trend market. It's being led by tech. It's being led by industrials. Those are cyclical, uh, cyclical sectors historically that are, uh, you know, far more characteristic of a bull market than a bear market. Uh, the laggards have been, you know, roughly healthcare, a little bit of staples, and certainly utilities. Um, those are pretty good uh, bulletproof indications that you're in a bull market. Wow. You, I mean, you use the word bulletproof. Uh, so you're suggesting that this bull market, which some are debating as to whether it really is one, is legit. I have no reason. I mean, keep in mind what we do, right? We, we listen to the market and we don't, we don't force our views on the market. We just try to listen to what the market's telling us. And when we listen intently without biases or prejudice, we find that you know, the majority of the indications are certainly more bullish than bearish. Mm. Trends, though, look, if, if, if not changing on a dime, they can still change reasonably quickly based on a change of event, no? Well, you know, it, it's a little bit susceptibility. It's kind of like you being healthy, right? If you're not healthy, you're going to be more susceptible to disease. 
uh, the markets are the same way. And right now, I would say the markets, you know, scale of one to 10, I think you had a four on before. I would call this market a seven, you know, in terms of the technical strength. I still think it's pretty good. Um, there's some question about breadth. We find that breadth tends to chase price, not vice versa. So, uh, you know, I, I think you're in a pretty good spot here. I do, I would say that, you know, real rates are something that uh, has us a little concerned. We're not overly bullish on the banking sector. In fact, we're uh, we're pretty bearish on banks right here because of what we're seeing out of real rates and trends. But you know, with the exception of some of these one-offs, it really is um, still more characteristic of a bull, not a bear. Mm, yeah, 69% of the S&P was up yesterday. We have a nice broad move again today. Jeff, I appreciate your time. Thank you. We'll see you Thank soon. You. Yeah, Jeff DeGraff uh, joining us right here on Closing Bell. Up next, tracking the biggest movers as we head closer to the end of today's session. And we are up better than 200 points. Christina Parsonevelos is standing by with that. Christina. And I'm going to talk about artificial intelligence, AI partnerships in the works with NVIDIA, and that's helping two stocks jump today. We discuss the details after this very short break. we got 16 minutes to the closing bell. Let's get back to Christina Parsonevelos with the stock she is watching right now. Christina. Well, it's time to team up on artificial intelligence. Data warehousing service provider Snowflake not only announced it's expanding its existing partnership with Microsoft to build out large-scale generative AI models, but it also announced a partnership with NVIDIA to build generative AI apps in Snowflake's cloud. So what that means is it'll allow Snowflake customers to build AI, AI models using their own data, and that's why you're seeing shares up over 4.5%. Speaking of NVIDIA, shares of Amcor technology are jumping right now in a report from DigiTimes that it's working with NVIDIA on advanced AI packaging. Amcor is up by 11% right now, and it's considered the number two in global packaging and testing after TSMC. So quite a big jump just on one rumored report. Yep, Christina, thank you. That's Christina Partsenevelos. Last chance to weigh in on our Twitter question. We asked, has the risk reward improved for stocks? And at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter, the results are right after this break. The results of our Twitter question, has the risk reward improved for stocks? The majority of you said no, but it was close. 52 and a half to 47 and a half. We're back right after this with the home builders hitting new highs today. We'll tell you what's driving that key part of the market higher, what it could be for your money in the long run when we take you inside the market zone. All right, we're now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down the crucial moments of the trading day. Diana Olick on housing stocks hitting new highs today. Seema Modi on the big rebound in the cruise lines. And Julia Borston breaking down the rally in Meta. Mike Santoli, begin with you. Got a pretty nice finish here, about 51 or so points on the S&P. And now the sector's pretty broad move, too. Yes, a lot of participation today. We had about a 100-point pullback in the S&P, all told, from closing high to closing low. We're back to where the S&P was trading about a week ago. So just to scale things, it was a very uh, kind of orderly, low drama pullback from an overbought condition. That's the way I would view it. So it did nothing to disturb the trend. I was saying you can go down, all the way down to 4,200, and you still could in a pullback and still be in that better trend. So all things are, I think, uh, all the boxes are getting checked off. The, the issue is uh, we have run a little bit. It seems the that issue people, is all the boxes are getting checked and, off. And people have embraced, you know, a little more of an upbeat case. I don't think all of the skepticism has been burned off. Mm -hmm. So we can still uh, go farther from here. But I think 
it seems a little more like a, like a balanced outlook. All right. Diana Olick, uh, nice day for home builders. The XHB is at a 52-week high. And how about that housing data this morning that you gave us? Yeah, the home builders are clearly on a tear after a much better than expected read on sales of newly built homes in May. The home building ETF, ITB, it's one of my faves, up about 3% on the day and 40% year to date. Names like Lennar, Pulte, and DR Horton hitting 52-week highs. New home sales were up over 12% month to month and were up 20% from May of last year. These numbers are based on signed contracts during the month, so people out shopping in May when mortgage rates were actually really rough. The 30-year fix started the month around 6.5%, but then shot sharply higher, over 7% in the second half of the month. That really cut into affordability, but apparently it did not deter buyers. And the road ahead looks busy as the number of homes sold but not yet started has nearly doubled from a year ago, and there is the runway for your home builders. All right, Diana Olick, thank you very much for that. Seema Modi, how about this move? The reversal, I'm looking at Carnival Cruise Line, for example, the low of 14.70, now it's at 15.83, up better than 8%. Yeah, it's turning out to be the classic bull bear debate, Scott, and it's playing out real time. There is this collective acknowledgement on Wall Street that the stock ran up too far too fast this year, up 95 percent year to date. But others, other analysts also pointing to the impressive surge they've seen in bookings in the second quarter, that on higher ticket prices and this expectation that that will help them achieve their second half profitability goals. Now, the other thing to keep into account, the Carnival's Investor Day, it just ended and I did hear from one attendee inside the room that CEO Josh Weinstein, who just joined recently, uh, spent some time clarifying the company's longer term financial goals. So that perhaps is also playing into the rebound that we are seeing right now for Carnival shares. And of course, Royal and Norwegian also higher on, on the day. All right. Good stuff, Seema. Thank you very much for that, Julia Borston. And then there is Meta, just two bucks away from its new high as well, up about three percent today. We, that's right, Scott. Minister is rising about 3%, bringing year-to-date gains to nearly 139%. This comes after City raises price target on Meta to a street high of $360. That's up from $315. You see the stock is still below 290 right now. Now, City has an overweight rating saying, quote, we believe Reels is experiencing greater advertiser adoption and believe Meta's investments in generative AI can deliver incremental usage across its users, creators, and advertisers. This all comes as today Meta's WhatsApp business announced that it has topped 200 million monthly active users, up from 50 million users three years ago. WhatsApp business also announcing new tools for the platform, easier ad creation of click to WhatsApp ads, and a new paid service for companies to personalize messaging to WhatsApp business users. Scott? Julia, thank you very much for that. Mike Santoli, I turn to you. Uh, The stock has just had a monster of a year. As we debate the valuation, it looks to me forward P.E., what, 36 No, forward is on Meta is more like in low 20s. Oh, low 20. It's like oh, 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I looked at the wrong uh, thing. In yes, fact, it's, it's basically at its five-year average forward PE. Um, so we had that big crash, uh, and then people got more comfort with the, the margin story and the, the fact that we're going to be more disciplined on spending. And now, in fact, it's just barely eclipsed the forward valuation of, of Alphabet again. Um, so it's, it's, gonna get, it's getting revalued as uh, a play that people feel is, is less vulnerable, more predictable. Uh, we'll see how, you know, how much it plays out. It did trade up toward 30 uh, back in 2021. So I think this is the equation we're thinking about a lot. People are, uh, almost people even who love the market say, well, it's not 
not cheap, it's kind of overvalued uh, or it's getting expensive. It's one of the cheapest of the mega caps. That is one of the cheapest of the mega caps. The other thing you would say is, you know, a lot of things are just reco- in recovery mode still, like Netflix and Meta, where you have NVIDIA and, you know, Microsoft's bumping up against the old highs. But I did do a screen for stocks, big ones, n- known ones, that are trading below, let's say, a 10-year average forward PE. And you've got names like American Express, UPS, Starbucks, Lowe's, Visa. It doesn't mean that they're really outright cheap. It doesn't mean that those forward earnings are going to come through as projected. But it does tell you that, you know, really not all the market uh, is valued as aggressively as we think. Now, let's say rates are higher, real yields are higher, uh, and maybe this moment in the economic cycle is not the time to pay up. So, again, I think it's a little more of an an even trade. uh, And usually the tie goes to uh, the benefit of the doubt goes to the bulls when you have proven uh, that this trend has been positive for this long. Are we, as we just had the two-minute warning here, are we vulnerable to central bank barks tomorrow? Because we're going to get Sarah's hosting that panel yeah. over in Portugal where you have an all-star uh, docket. If you get a real dramatic, sharp reaction in the bond market, yes. So far, anything beyond you know, the two-year yield in treasuries is purely middle of the range. They're not making new highs in yield. Uh, It's in a comfortable zone. We feel as if, you know, at this point, looks like July hike for the Fed is, is, is probably being penciled in. Market seems okay with it. Again, the whole equation this year to me has been, you know, is the Fed going to feel as if it really has to undermine consumer demand and the labor market in order to get inflation where it wants it? Right now, market's betting it doesn't necessarily have to. We're going to get the PCE number on Friday. We'll see if inflation is stubborn or if it's continuing to move in the direction that uh, everyone is hoping and expecting. I mean, that, that's the wild card, whether you know inflation continues to come down to a degree where the Fed doesn't have to choke off the demand yeah. it thinks it does. That's right. And, and the other thing is the Fed is now messaged that it's not necessarily looking to target market levels or the unemployment rate and saying that they really need to apply more pain which was the case almost a year ago in August at Jackson Hole. So it's a different tone. That's, I think, why the market's been a bit more comfortable. All right, a bounce back today. That is the, uh, the message we get. The Dow's good for better than 200. I'll see you tomorrow. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner, too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.